You're really going to love this. This is Fluid Truth, and I'm attorney Shirley Skyers Thomas. We explore a simple question of what equity looks and feels like from varying perspectives. The content offered in this segment is personal reflection and interpretation. The views of my guests are not necessarily the views of Fluid Truth or Quinnipiac University. For clarity, this conversation has been edited. My guests today are attorney Errol Skyers, stepping in as host, and Mr. Leon Brown. Attorney Skyers is a legal practitioner right here in Connecticut. He has a wide range of trial experience in personal injury and criminal law on both the state and federal levels. Mr. Leon Brown is a longtime financial educator living in the UK with many years of experience in finance, investment banking, and trading foreign exchange currencies. This amazing discussion focused on the concept of equity and thought processes in the financial sector. We had two really great perspectives right here at Fluid Truth. Good afternoon. Welcome to Fluid Truth. I am so excited that I have one, a special guest host, and two, an amazing guest. We have attorney Errol Skyers in the building, and he's stepping in as special guest host. The perspective is so huge. And here we go. Drum roll, please. My special guest, our special guest, Mr. Leon Brown, hailing all the way from across the water, across the continent, across the miles, Mr. Leon Brown. All right, gentlemen, I'm going to let you guys have at it. I'm going to quiet myself and let's talk about equity. Thank you very much, Shirley. Really appreciate that lovely introduction. It's my pleasure to be on uh, the Fluid Truth podcast uh, hosting as a special guest. I was once a guest, but now I have the uh, unmatched uh, pleasure of being a host. And my first opportunity as host is one that's very, very grave, very, very heavy, because I have Mr. Leon Brown from all the way from the United Kingdom, from England. He is a financial guru, and we get a chance to talk with Mr. Brown about equity in terms of our finances. Welcome, Mr. Brown. How are you? Leon? What are you saying, Errol? I'm, I'm great. I'm really, really good and great to be on this, on this podcast with you. So you've been promoted from a guest to the host. Congratulations on your, promo- <laughs> on your promotion, cuz. <laughs> you know, I, I will take that. Congratulations. Thank you very much. I don't get too many promotions these days, and so I will cherish that particular promotion. So uh, let's let's start with um, making sure that we get a sense for what this discussion is going to be about. Um, uh, Shirley is a host of a wonderful podcast, and she speaks in terms of equity regularly. And she's had so many guests on to talk about equity, and the notion that I think is really really valuable coming from you is uh, this idea of understanding finances, understanding finances in terms of being able to pass that understanding down to our progeny, our children, understanding finances in terms of what our perspective was, what did we even get our first thoughts and our first understandings of finances from. And you particularly, you get the chance to sort of uh, straddle two uh, countries because you worked in the financial industry down in the financial sector right there on Wall Street in, in New York City um, for a little while. And certainly you're doing these fantastic things that you're doing now over there in England. You're in, in London, correct? 
Absolutely right, Carl. And I think the, the the first thing we've got to think of uh, think about when we talk about equity in economics, I think, is our uh, our financial blueprint, which is given to us at birth, right? It's the it's the starting point of where we receive all of this inf- information, and a lot of that information is passed down subconsciously or passed down from our parents or from our aunties, uncle, grandparents without us realizing that we are being given a financial blueprint, right? And this financial blueprint is different for different families, different cultures, uh, you know, people from different countries. But for us as a, as a, as a people, I think um, our financial blueprint uh, it just hasn't always been the same as those who we now see as successful with businesses and with, you know, you know, money in the bank. It, our financial blueprint is something that I, I've had to personally work on a lot myself. So are you are you suggesting then that whatever it is that whatever it is that is our formative financial blueprint may have to be uh, undone or refined or unlearned? Well, OK, so the first thing is that, you know, you know, I'm a golfer, right? I love playing golf. So, so for me, if my golf swing, if I'm not playing well, if I'm not playing well in a round of golf, I can take a lot from the trajectory of the ball. So I look at the results. Really what I'm saying is I look at the results that I'm getting. Is the ball flying off to the left? Is it flying off to the right? And then with that, I can work backwards and say, well, I need to make these adjustments in my in my, in my my motion in order to get the correct result. Similarly with this financial blueprint. I think we need to look at the results that we're getting. Is there, are, are we saving? Are we investing? Are we opening businesses? Are we giving? Are we charitable? All right. And then if these things are not in place, another thing you, you can put on that list is debt. How much debt do we have? Right. So look at the financial situation and work backwards. And that will tell you uh, that whether or not the, the, the blueprint needs to be adjusted somewhat. And I think for a lot of us, it does. My blueprint had to be adjusted. I still continue to work on it now uh, to make sure that I'm getting the results that I want. What kind of blueprints are you recommending? Let's start with what we're given, right? Let's start with what we're given. So did you ever hear the phrase, um, money doesn't grow on trees? Absolutely. Okay. All right. Um, did you ever hear the phrase, we can't afford it? I've used that phrase. I have used that phrase, but I don't use it anymore. <laughs> right? You know, I don't know. There are many, I, we don't, we don't want to get too personal with how life, with how life was, but I think there are many situations where you may have been taught that, you know, rich people are evil. I don't know if you were taught that message. I know for sure though, I know for sure though, Errol, one thing you may have heard growing up is that money is the root of all evil. Heard it all the time. All the time. Okay. And it's wrong. And and rich people are not happy. And rich people are not happy. All right. So these are the, the kind of messages that we're given at a very young age. I can't, we can't afford it. There's not enough money. You'll you'll have to go without at the end of the month when I get paid. All right. Mm. These are the kind of the messages that we're we're fed as kids or that we feed to our children sometimes and they create a thought process. Oh, we have to wait till the end of the month for the money. There's not enough lack, insufficiency. Rich people are unhappy or they're evil. Money is the root of all evil, which is which is not what the Bible says at all. All right. We just get fed the wrong information and we grow up outliving that. Uh, You know, the expression of what's in our in our mind is uh, is lived in our experience. 
And uh, I think we need to adjust that slightly. So now I, I, I never refer, if there is any moments of lack, I never refer to I never refer to it as a moment of lack. I always refer to it in the positive. It will come. I will never say I don't I can't afford it. I will say my budget doesn't allow for that right now. It's a different, it's a different kind of way to to express uh, express yourself if there is if there is a moment of lack. And, and so, to a certain degree, you you spoke about something that's you didn't use the phrase, but sort of a self fulfilling prophecy that we engage in. So, what you've done now is, to any extent you're speaking about money or speaking about finances, you're not creating that negative prophecy, so to speak, that will cause us to have to step into and live live that. For the rest of our lives, I, I will never say anything that I don't want to be. Never, I will never say anything that I don't want it. Like I don't have enough. I will never say it. if I don't want it to actually be the case. I will never. It will never leave my mouth. And these are some of the the things that I'm trying to pass down to my children. The way we speak, even deeper than just economic equity, is what we think leads to what we say and what we say leads to what we experience and so i'm really just part of what i'm trying to teach my my children is let's have the right thinking first let's think right everything will come correctly whether it's money education relationships everything will come correctly if we get thinking right so and you mentioned that phrase economic equity let's talk about that a little bit right so certainly there's a blueprint out there that we have to deal with Arguably and presumably, we can fix that and create the proper blueprint. But um, what is your understanding or your experience regarding where we start? Economically, do we start with equity or do we start with an ability to gain equity? Or what do you, is that question too broad? You may have seen me pause for a second. It's because I was considering whether equity is given or whether equity is taken. And I don't have the answer just yet in that. I don't have the answer just yet. I think there's a certain amount of equity that needs to be given, and then also a certain amount that needs we need to take responsibility, that we need to take responsibility for. Um, economically. Economically, absolutely right. We have to take responsibility for some things economically changing the way we look and handle our finances. I've been through, uh, last year was a big readjustment for me in terms of looking at my finances very closely and trying to set things up for the next 15 or 20 years. Of course. Of making course. a you know a fresh start. And I don't think many of us, I don't think enough of us take our finances that seriously to have to do a re- complete readjustment. Well, maybe we don't. I mean, are finances really that important? I'd almost like to ask you it back. Are they not important? They're, they're probably much more important than we give credit for, right? You said we don't take it seriously enough, and and I think we don't. Why? Aren't there people that do? i tell you what I know, and through my experience with high net worth individuals and through my reading and study of high net worth individuals um, and in my preparation to be one, I know for sure that these individuals spent a lot of time looking at their financial situation, understanding finances, understanding businesses, understanding investments, understanding savings. It's like 
I don't know how to be, I don't know, I don't know any other way to be high net worth or rich without understanding these things, unless you just got lucky. You've got to, you've got to understand it. You have to know what a balance sheet is. You have to have your, you know, what percentage of my money goes to gifts and charity? What percentage goes to investments? What percentage am I saving? What percentage am I reinvested in my business? You've got to know. You just have to, it's like, so I liken it to a business. You're a business owner and you know uh, your business plan. You know what's coming in, what's going out. You're, I'm sure you've planned for not just to the end of 2022. You've probably got two, three, maybe five years planned in your in your business plan. And we should maybe longer. And we should be the same with our finances. We should really have the details. Every single Monday morning, for me, I call it Money Mondays. Right? So Monday morning for me is the time when I go through, I look at my finances, I, I, I pay bills if I need to pay bills on a Monday morning. I look at what's coming in, what's going out, what's been spent. Monday, Money Mondays, man. Everybody should have a Money Mondays. I like that. I like Money Mondays. I engage in same or similar activities that you're speaking of, but I, I don't know if I do it always on a Monday morning, but I like the money Mondays. So I think at this point we should probably let our listeners in on why you know so much. What's your experience with finances? Okay. That's a great question. So I came out of university many years ago before this, before the date started with a two, the year still started with a one. <laughs> when I started my working career, came out of university and landed in what I considered to be a really, really good job. I worked for nine years at a US investment bank called Goldman Sachs. Uh, and four of those years was in the technology department, just helping a high net worth individuals navigate their portfolios. And then I, will, uh, I came upon my rich dad, you know, and if you've read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you'll understand the reference. I came upon my rich dad, uh, somebody who's, who I'm still in contact with now, 20, 20 years later. And he brought me from a technology role into what we call a front office role, where I was dealing directly with, with clients who, who wanted to trade foreign exchange currencies. And so I spent a further five years working on the foreign exchange sales and trading desk at Goldman, building their electronic trading systems whilst dealing with clients who wanted to buy and sell currencies. Then I moved to a French investment bank and did the same thing there at uh, Societe Generale, uh, uh, two very, very different uh, companies, two different ways of working, but six years at SocGen doing foreign exchange sales and trading and building their electronic system as well. So that's the foundation of really where finance kind of gripped me. I've always been interested in it, always before, even before starting my career. Um, so I just consider myself fortunate to have worked in two of two really, really large companies. And, and, and right now I am a, uh, I'm a, what I would call an educator. So I teach people how to make money trading foreign exchange. And um, yeah, in my days, that's what I do as well. I, I buy and sell currencies online, sit at home in this wonderful office, making money online. It's interesting. You buy and sell currencies and you were doing that before, while the currencies were still paper currencies, right? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, this, this, I was raised in a <laughs> in a um, at the time when currencies were yeah they were less digital. They weren't they weren't as easily to trade online. That's right. Right. So you're involved in the digital uh, market as well. Cryptocurrencies, yeah, all of that. It's uh, all of it. If it's a currency, you're dealing with it. Well, if you can read it on a chart, put it that way. If you can read, if the if if you can read the price on a chart and it can be traded via a broker, 
then yeah, I can get involved. Okay. So let's talk about the, um, the disparities then. I mean, we're, we're really speaking about equity here and uh, clearly um, if you have $2 and I have $1, there's no equity there. You, you've got twice as much as I do. And if you have the ability to make $2 and I have the ability to make $2, but someone stops me from making $2, there's no equity there either. And so uh, to, to what extent have you experienced the, the disparities in the ability to get finances or to achieve finances? Well, well this is really cool. Maybe even if we can just go back to your definition, if you have $2 and I have one, I would say that's not equality, right? There's no equality. There's, and, and there's, for me, it's not equal, it's sure. not equal right? Right. But yeah. the real point that we made, which is really cool, is that if you have the ability to make two, but I only have the ability to make one, then that's not equity, and that and and that's a that's a really that's that's just the equity for me is the fairness of it all. So if you can if you can make two and I have got the ability to make two, but I only make one, then we don't have to be equal. The system's fair, right? You can make two. I had the ability to make two, but I only made one. Um, what have I experienced in it? I, I mean, in your in your example, where two people have the ability to make the same, but one one person just doesn't or chooses not to then the system's fair. It's just a choice, right? Sure, sure, sure. That I get. That I understand. But what I know from, from just living life, because I was born uh, in a year where the number started with a one. And just from living my life, and the next number was a nine. I'm not going to tell you the... <laughs> <laughs> what about the third number? Go on. The third number was less than nine. It was less than nine. Okay, yeah, I guess, I guess that... But well, so, higher than five. Yes, higher than five, yes. <laughs> and so I, I know that just from living life, there are circumstances where some people start with um, a less opportunity. Exactly. To get the ability for the $2. Exactly, right. And so the question is, is there some mechanism that will allow us to gain something financially that's equitable an opportunity to to get there or is this is this an exercise that is just futile yeah and you know i am the eternal optimist the eternal optimist but in this question my fear is that that we're too far gone that the imbalance and the inequality Inequity. Let's use the yeah. Let's use inequity. I think the inequity is too large now. In that, the families and institutions that have money will will now they have got so much that trying to catch up is is almost an impossible without a gift or a donation or should we say the word the dreaded word reparations. Without it, I think. I think and I say dreaded because you know you, you know what I mean by that right it's I do indeed with without you know I don't want to go into that whole conversation but without that payback or the leveling of the playing field I think the inequity is just t- 
too large. It's just too large. But but you then you touched on something that I was dancing around, and that's the playing field. It, it's it's not level. We're starting. It like it's not going to be level. No, it's not. I don't think it can be leveled, and I don't think. Look, let's ask the question: If you were at the fifty-yard line, and I was at the ten-yard line. And for whatever reason, you realized at the 50-yard line that there was inequity. At what point would you put yourself back on the 25-yard line and, and, and wait for me to get there? Or what point would you bring yourself back to the 10-yard line? Or what point would you share what you've got so that there's a level playing field? You would never do it. Never. You just wouldn't. You would never do it. There's never a situation where you, just, you know, no matter how kind-hearted or, or pure or righteous we think we may be, just nobody would do that. It's just too late. I'm not giving up what I've worked for, what my parents have worked for. I'm not going to give it up to anybody. And and I, I just don't think it will happen. I can't see it happening. The level, the, the, the level playing field won't happen unless we, I, I, I don't know, unless we get some type of um, quantum leap, quantum shift in our thinking and in our finances. I just don't see it happening. So in that case, I think... Uh, what we have to consider then is going back to that whole blueprint thing, right? What's the blueprint? Uh, what, what, or how should we um, be thinking or modeling or creating our present reality so that even though we're on the 10 yard line, we may not make it to the 50 yard line, but we will have a demonstrated opportunity to either get close or have our kids close or our grandkids close. I was really hoping you were going to say that last bit because the idea is to have, you know, even if I'm not there, it's to, it's to give my son the layup, right? It's to give my son the layup or to give my grandson the layup. Um, so the, think, the, the thinking is number one, there is enough for everybody. There is abundance. There's no shortage on the, there's no shortage on the planet. There's enough. It's just distributed. It's the distribution is skewed at the moment. And all, I think one of the things we need to do is to kind of get our share of the distribution through whatever means necessary. So number one, my thinking is there is no lack, really. There is no, there is sufficiency. And all I need to do is to find the ways to access it uh, through business, through knowledge about my finances. So I look at my finances in four ways. I look at my income, essential. And you can read this in a fantastic book called the secrets of the millionaire mind. Uh, this is not original from me. This is this is this is a, a from something I read by by a guy called T. Harv Eker. Fantastic book. I actually have that book. Uh, uh, okay, now I'm going to ask you straight. Have you read it? Twice. Thank you. How good is that book? Because we all have books that we haven't read, right? That we haven't got round to yet. So, what did you think about that? I thought it was. I thought I had a very simple approach. So simple. <laughs> very so simple, simple approach. It was so simple. He talks about this blue, this, these four things I'm, I'm going to mention, plus 17 ways that uh, rich people, 17 ways that rich people think that the poor and the middle class don't. Poor and middle class, you know. And I think, you know, to include the poor with the middle class is a little bit of a, you know, yeah, the middle class have got to think about that for a little while. But it's, the thinking is different to the rich. One of the things he said that I really liked in that book was the rich structure their finances in four ways, which is number one, you've got to have an income. 
And that income can be passive or it can be active, which you can work for it daily, exchanging your time for money. Or you can set up something where once you've done it once or twice, or you've spent an initial amount of time that you get a passive income from that. Yeah, property, for an example, uh, online lessons, recording artists, they get a residual or passive income. So number one is income. Number two is savings. You've got to put a percentage of your money into savings. Number three is investments, whether that's in business or in stock market. And this is number four, which is what most people are probably not willing to do. Number four is the most important one in my view, simplification. And that means living within your means, making sure that there is a buffer between what you take and what you spend. And I just don't think many of us, in fact, I think the majority of us are living at or beyond our means and are just simply not prepared to cut the gym membership or to turn off the the, the, the cable TV or to do whatever it takes to come back below our means. Well, the social media is... is- uh, replete with these beautiful cars, these great clothes, these great opportunities, and even industry itself makes these things somewhat affordable because they don't have to pay for it all at once. You pay for it a clip at a time, maybe maybe monthly, you know, a clip at a time. And so yeah. the tendency, number one, is that um, we want to reward our kids. We want to treat our kids in a way that we don't believe we may have been treated when we were younger. You know, maybe, maybe the resources weren't as, as flowing when we were younger. And so when the kids say, this is what I want to do, this is what I want. We say, yeah, we're going to find a way for you to do that. And we even take the attitude with ourselves. We say, you know, I worked really hard. I put in a whole week and I need to reward myself. And we do that regularly. And next thing you know, 52 weeks has gone by and we did it for a year. So this is such a good point. Two points I want to address in there. I try to think about doing things, yes, to enjoy my life. It's important, right? We don't want to always live for the future and the future and the future because the future never comes. We've only got now. So I do understand the concept of, you know, enjoying your life. But I do also try to please my future self so that in two years time my the leon that looking back can say to leon that's now hey bro thank you for doing that for putting that money in that position or for not spending that or for understanding how credit works that you go and you want to buy something for a thousand dollars you buy on credit you're going to end up spending that 1300 thank you for taking the time to understand that i so i want my future leon to be happy with today's today's little, and that helps me in my, in, in my in my thinking. We've got to understand credit. Credit is used correctly; it's 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 brilliant. Used incorrectly, it's a noose around the neck of the person who doesn't understand it. It's a double-edged sword. It really is. It it really is, really is. It can be good. You know, understanding your credit rating. I don't know how it works exactly in the U.S., but in the in the U.K. We've got two or three agencies that that um, monitor credit rating. And part of my monthly assessment, so I, you know I have my Money Mondays where I just do the kind of the run-of-the-mill bills and expenses. I also have a monthly assessment where I track my net worth over time. And part of that monthly assessment is to see where my credit rating is. Just as, And just keep it on a spreadsheet. 
do I need to improve it a little bit? Did it slip? Did it increase? You know, just to see where my where my credit rating is. But the use of credit is something we need to understand. Uh, and you know, you mentioned um, when you were talking about the secrets of the millionaire, you mentioned that um, the middle class were lumped in with the poor. And we made a biblical reference earlier, and I want to uh, call us to that, where Jesus said, the poor will be with us always. And so when you speak about there never being a present opportunity for equity, looks like we're always going to have these striated classes. We're going to have the rich, we're going to have middle class, we're going to have poor. And so uh, what my takeaway is, let's try to jump from wherever you are up into the next level. Yeah, and and not only will we always have the poor, as it is biblical, and the, and the middle class and the rich, but the gap between the middle class and the rich and the middle class and the poor is widening, especially between the gap between the, the middle class and the rich is widening. What we've seen, what we've seen over the last two years with the fiscal printing of money, just printing money. Where's that gone to? I mean, we've got to think, this is why I say the playing field is just to, it will never be level again. Because when the US, when the, when the, when the Fed prints these trillions of dollars, where does it go? It goes into the hands of people who already have businesses. They're the ones that take, they're the ones that take the loans and the grants from the Fed and they go in and spend it and invest it in their businesses and in other investments. Whereas the, the people without the investments or without the businesses, they don't have the recourse to claim these, these grants from the government or they just take something small for themselves personally, and before you know it, they've gone down to, to Foot Locker and they got themselves a new pair of Jordans with what with with the, with the with the with the money that they've been given from from the government. So, I mean, the gap is just the gap between the poor and the middle class, and the middle, especially the middle class and the and the rich. I think is just getting wider and wider. But it's for those of us who know to work hard at it on a daily basis. We have got an opportunity right now with the onset of digital currencies and the digital banking system. We've got an opportunity right now to accelerate that journey. This is the this is probably uh, you know as much as I said it's a pessimistic viewpoint. This is probably the last opportunity for those with a little bit of knowledge and finances to catch up. This is probably the last opportunity. The the with the onset of the digital revolution, cryptocurrencies digital assets if Usain Bolt had a head start if he if he was I mean he's just the best right he's got the genetics he's got the training he's got the background and no matter how good somebody is if you give him a head start the chances of catching up are very 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 slim but here's what I was thinking about over time if he was to keep running it's not a guarantee that his children are going to have the same attributes as he does right and so is the reason why this uh, disparity can only be caught up over a long period of, ta- of time. Because if the people with the, uh, with the power, with the money, with the knowledge, with the businesses, if they don't keep it up, then and only then can there be a catch up of, of, of people who are applying the principles, opening the businesses, making the right investments, getting the right knowledge about their money. So it's a it's a, it's something that's possible, but only after a long period of time. I think. Okay, so we're not left without hope. Then the idea then is that we 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 redraw the blueprint. We give ourselves and our progeny the tools to act uh, intentionally, and we do it for a sustained period of time. 
And um, with, with a redrawn blueprint, actually, the guarantee is that you, you build the house that you have created the blueprint for, right? 100% correct. And practically, these are the ways that, that I'm doing that within my family. I teach my children about money, teach them about it. This is uh, value. You don't. I, I was talking to my daughter on her way to school. I love the fact I can hold my daughter's hand while she goes into class. And I was saying, remember, my darling, you don't get paid for time. You get paid for value. As they say to me, you don't get paid for time, you get paid for, and she said, value. I said, what do you get paid for, darling? And she said, I get paid for value. These kind of things that you can teach your children over time is that you get paid for the value you provide to the most amount of people. You know, I sit down and I teach them, here's the, here's some here's some holders, some jugs, some jars, whatever you want to call it. On this jar, we label giving. This jar, we label um, savings. This jar, we label spendings. And you put your money into the jars and just teach them these very, very simple, basic things from a young age. These are for my two younger children. For my older son, who's 19, I have him right next to me in business, 19 years old. And we went for a business meeting uh, last night with, with some of some associates. And he was right there with me. And I, he wasn't there as come and watch what daddy does business, how daddy does business. He was there. He was there as come in. If you've got something to say, say it. If you've got a question to ask, ask it. You're you're in. Okay. And um, I just think if he does the same with his children, and uh, then we're going to start. Um, well, then we're going to start. Uh, oh, then we're going to start catching up. Over that, that makes over complete field. sense. And and so I, I think what we're left with is that while there are real uh, economic disparities, while there are real um, forces that we have to deal with, whether we inherited them or whether they were impacted upon us, there's a way. There's a way to reduce the uh, inequities. And we just have to start now with educating ourselves and passing that education on, on to our children. You, you used the right word. You used the right word. The word was intentionally. We have to be intentional. Thanks for listening in. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Not only did we get the financial conversation, but real live solutions to addressing this gap. Kudos, gentlemen. Thank you so much, Errol and Leon. Special thanks to our producer, Raynette Shefu and executive producer, David DeRoche. Shout out to the Fluid Truth crew for their assistance. That's Jillian Catalano and Jake McCarthy. Music is provided by Audio Hero from their Jazz Lounge album. To learn more about all of our podcasts, visit qu.edu slash podcast. You can listen to our podcast on the platform or app of your choice. Be sure to check us out on Twitter and Instagram at qpodcasts. If you have a story to share or something you want to talk about, find us on social media or shoot us an email. The address is qupodcast at qu.edu. All right, that's it for today. Till next time.